0: Greetings ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this latest episode of Tales Tales from from Outer 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 Space, taken from the subreddit HFY. The Links to all the stories will be down below, and as always, I hope that you enjoy. And if you do, please consider subscribing. Story number one, You Ignored Us, written by The Real Federal. A class-twelve-story. High Professor Mephilean Space Tendrils quivered in shock when the purple emergency comm squealed. Her hand shook as she picked up a receiver on a desk that hadn't been used during her entire tenure at the university. Hello? Yes, I understand. I'll arrive at the council chamber shortly, quickly as possible. She sighed as she dropped the receiver back into the dusty cradle and her shoulders drooped. There was only one reason she would be summoned before the Galactic Council. We warned them, she said to herself as she collected her printouts with data chips. Me and everyone else of the past 150,000 years, and none of them listened, and now it's too late. It's all going to fall to dust. She exited her office, closing the door behind her, and she ran her limb tentacles over the gold lettering on the door for what she expected for the last time. Behind her, she had walked down that hallway, the words High Professor mephidian Senior Researcher, Human Studies, gleamed in the light. A trio of Cornaxian soldiers escorted mephidian into the council chamber, which was in utter chaos. Representative for 54 races were screeching, growling, keening, and generally arguing across the entirety of the chamber. The rhythmic pounding of the Prime Minister smashing the gavel against his podium, yelling, ORDER! 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 and being utterly ignored added a level of surreal to the whole situation. Macphillian's outer membrane turned to a mauve to a grey as she watched the representatives from the combined avioc roosts rocking back and forth in the corner, plucking quills from the wings one at a time before stuffing them in his mouth. A wave, of silence slowly spread through the chamber as they saw Professor Macphillian standing in the doorway. The Prime Minister, taking advantage of the pause, banged the gavel once more. My esteemed colleagues, please, please take your seats and let us hear from the foremost expert in this situation. Perhaps she can add some important data to calm everyone's concerns. Please take your seats. Order began to take a hold as the Prime Minister motioned with his massive arm to McFillian to join them on the podium. With the slow steps of the condemned, she walked down the main aisle and up the stairs to the rostrum as there were various representatives slowly took their seats. The Prime Minister shook. Hi, Professor McFillian, the one being most knowledgeable in this field, I am hoping that you can give us some sort of reassurance that this situation is not as catastrophic as its members of the esteemed council fear it is. Spearing the Prime Minister with a gill air of contempt, she jammed the data chip into the podium's projector and said out loud, No, Prime Minister, it is not as bad as the council believes, It is far, far worse. Her tentacles manipulated the projector controls as images filled the chamber. Myself and my fellow experts and humans have been warning you since the end of the last great war that this would happen. We urged, we pleaded and begged your predecessors to rescind the restriction on genocide and just exterminate the last human. But all were refused. The war almost ended in defeat and enslavement of all of our combined races, but still no one listened. Her tentacles danced over the keys as she brought up an image of a blue and green planet focused on various areas and samples of Florida appeared. Instead, to keep their precious conscience clear, they found a world— they crossed Owl Deathworld, the only one we know in the galaxy, and dumped amid wiped survivors of humanity on it, hoping that the planet would accomplish what they lacked the courage to do. Lashed by solar radiation, ultraviolet rays, and gravity nearly twice what the humans were used to, and a fool of predators out of species' worst nightmares, they set up an interdiction zone 100 light years around it and expected nature to take its course. We were wrong. My predecessors have been pleading with the Council for the past 150,000 years to just send a fleet and sterilize the entire surface of the planet, but have been ignored. Over and over. Then, when electromagnetic signals were detected coming from the Death World, my mentor, High Professor N352S Hull, implored you to destroy the humans as they had obviously achieved a terrifying level of technology in a short period of time. Yet, uh, you ignored him. Many years later, when you were considering sending a probe to evaluate the situation, again, my mentor implored you to not take the risk for allowing the probe to fall into human hands. And again, he was ignored. When the probe mysteriously stopped transmitting, you put it down to a malfunction. You were wrong. They obviously captured it and copied its technology. The murmuring started against the council, and each fact struck home. The display changed again and showed the area of the galaxy around the Death World. Macphillian gestured to numerous points of light. Forbidding any colonies or settlements in the area, we have left hundreds of systems for them to colonize, and according to the second probe that was sent, they have already spread over to a hundred worlds. Most of the worlds have been colonized. We should think of this as unthinkable, yet they seem to be thriving in that because of us. They are now larger than the empire that was the start of this great war. She gestured once more to the large-headed, frail-framed, four-limbed figure appeared. These are the humans that nearly defeated us all a millennia ago. They were weak body, but clever, cunning, and most of all, adaptable. The image changed to show the hairy, broad-shouldered figure, the massive muscles of a heavy warrior coupled with the obvious malevolent intelligence in its eyes, terrified all that saw it. This is what we turned them into. There was a momentary yelp of fear from the representative of the candid packworlds, who then spoke, How? How did they survive? I've seen the information on that world. They should have all been consumed by the predators. Even if they survived the gravity and radiation, how did they kill them all off before they were killed themselves? Macphillion tapped at several keys, and a new set of images appeared. Most of these were taken from the human transmissions, and it should answer your questions. A furry, fanged creature sporting a hooked claws appeared. This is the creature the humans classify as a feline. They are wild, solitary, vicious predators. This is what the humans turned them into. The scene shifted to a human dangling a piece of string as a smaller version of the feline, claws and teeth still very much evident, batted at the dangling end playfully. Again, the scene changed. It showed a group of lean, furred creatures with tooth-filled mauls, dragging down a horned creature many times their size. This creature is classified by the humans as a canine an intelligent pack hunter with jaws capable of crushing bones. They were changed it did this. The scene changed to show a small, flat-faced creature bearing little resemblance to the previous images. The animal was wearing a torso covering and a conical hat as the human sang a song to it. The scene changed to a creature more resembling the original, running after a long piece of plant matter that was flung by the human. The predator obediently returned the branch to the human and rolled on its back as the human scratched its creature's belly. The professor looked at the delegation of representatives and pointed an accusatory tentacle at them. You were warned, but you ignored us. You had 150,000 years of opportunities, and you threw them away. You could have listened to the experts, left them alone. They might have killed themselves or but in your arrogance you gave them all they needed to take the galaxy. But at least I will be spared that indignity. She took an auto-injector from her pocket and jabbed it into her neck. She slumped against the podium and took the last of the council. Enjoy learning how to fetch sticks, she gasped out heart before tumbling to the ground. End of chapter Story number two Genetic intensive terraforming expedition written by John Falkirk Many species are adaptable. Few planets are. Humans are unique in that while the first of those statements does not apply to them, neither does the second. The cat and the parky or the ultran, if dropped into an environment which did not suit their preference, might rapidly adapt their own needs to suit the environment. The Barki, for instance, are particularly good at breathing atmospheres different from their home planet, while the Ultrans variable density skeletons are excellent at adjusting to a wide range of planetary gravities. Humans can't do these things. Put them on a methane-rich atmosphere and they'll probably die. Put them in an environment with a mere four times their home planet's gravity and their spines will wear out in short order. They are not of its species to go on an interstellar colonizing spree. Naturally, when those burst onto the galactic stage, we, the more robust species, assumed that they would be isolated to only a small bubble of the more hospitable planets in their sector. This was not what happened, and less than a five millionth of a galactic cycle later, they had dominated not only their home sector, but all of the adjacent sectors and many of the sectors adjacent to those. How was this? They are the known intelligent species suited to adapt to a variety of planetary environments. How did they do it? And how did they do it better than all other known species? To answer this question, I spent a standard solar rotation as a welcome guest with the Human Preliminary Terraforming Task Force, which they call KITE, or Kinetic Intensive Terraforming Expedition, as it conquered rather than adapted to the newly claimed planet. My host vessel, the CCV Nantucket Sleigh Ride, CCV standing for Commonwealth Civilian Vessel, was one of four identical ships within the task force, the other being the CCV Cold Pequod, the CCV Hardtack Repository, and the CCV Titanic's Revenge. The task force had routed towards the newly discovered small, rocky, molten world, officially designated 1985749PB-7C, It was known unofficially to the humans as Orion's left one, for some reason. It was something to do with the proximity and the portion of the apparent star clusters visible from their home planet. Upon arriving in the system, the Nantucket began circling about the local star through the layer of comets at the exterior of the system. I first became aware that something was off when the ship spontaneously lurched, accelerating so fast that an unexpected direction that despite the ship's powerful inertial dampeners, I was flung from my bunk after only a shortest of warnings sounded over the intercom. Harpoon! Harpoon! Brace! 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 This was the moment I first realized that these humans were insane. No one could possibly expect those five words to be sufficient warning for an acceleration that exceeds the capacity of the ship's inertial dampeners. Red warning lights came on, silence bred, and I could hear the engine straining against what must have been an immense force. Slowly and cautiously, I made my way to the bridge where I found the captain, a human by the name of Chase, with a massive black bushy growth both atop, covering in front of and below his cranium, calmly standing next to the helm with a mug of vile brown liquid in his left appendage. I inquired as to what was going on and it informed me that everything was fine and that the ship had just harpooned a big one. On further investigation, I managed to determine that we were being dragged across the local Oort cloud by a comet, which our ship intentionally had affixed itself to via a cable and was currently engaged in a de-accelerating. I now know how these mad creatures terraform planets so quickly. They pummel them into submission, dragging comets across solar systems to smash them into the surfaces adding water to the surfaces and sometimes even creating an atmosphere where none was before. A bit of rough on the geology the Captain Chase informed me, but uh, worth it in the end. And now I know, there are many molten, overly hot or otherwise barren worlds that not even the most adaptable species can live upon. The relative non-adaptive humans have figured it out. If you can't adapt yourself to the world, force the world to adapt to yourself." End of story. And that, my friends, is the end of the video. I hope that you enjoyed. If you wish to support the author, check the links down below for the original link. But if you wish to support this channel, there are numerous ways listed down below. But the easiest would be to share this with as many people as possible to help the channel grow. And I will see you all in the next video. And until then, I hope you all have a good one. Cheers.